Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. It is uh, good to be with you all again. Uh, my wife and I and family are in agreement with that. Just good to be with you all again. We will be in uh, Psalm 107 this morning. Encourage you, if you have your copy of scriptures, to go ahead and turn there. Uh, Psalm 107. The last time we were together, uh, we were in the New Testament or the New Covenant. And this week we'll be in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Looking forward to that. And before we pray again, uh, just a reminder, something I found helpful is that what's the difference between you know the Old Testament saints that read the Psalms and the New Testament saints that read the Psalms? Well, an easy way to think about it is we both read with faith and trust. Both groups did. But they were far different because they were looking forward to someone who had not come yet. And they did not see clearly. Remember His disciples when Jesus came to earth, they just didn't put two and two together that Christ was supposed to suffer. Because they didn't read the Old Testament as they ought to, but it was hard for them. Now, for us, we read in faith and trust looking back. We see a risen Messiah, a crucified Messiah. So in many ways, you know, the psalm book, is, it's known as the hymn book of the church. And we're even commanded in the New Testament to sing the psalms. And it's easier for us because we see clearly. So as we study through this song, keep that in mind, we have far more application for ourselves as we study it because we have the risen Savior. We see Him clearly. Now let's pray again before we uh, jump into the passage. Let's make this our prayer of confession. Just asking God to make our hearts right to hear the Word of God clearly. Let's pray. Father, we, we do love You. Uh, Christ, we are so thankful for Your sacrifice on our behalf. And Spirit of God, You have filled us and helped us to worship You in song already this morning. And oh God, would You help us to continue to worship You as we open the Word of God, as we study its meaning, as we, as we seek to know more about You. But first, would You empty us of self, empty us of sin, as Your Word says, help us to tremble at Almighty God in His Word, and may we say, leave here being filled with thankfulness that we have been forgiven and get to serve such a wonderful living God. So would you open up this Word to me, to us, fill your speaker, fill your hearers, and may we leave here loving you more because we know you better. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. As we get the context of the passage, it's so important to get the context or else you'll get the application wrong for any passage you have. Psalm 107, in your mind's eye, go with me to Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar's army, the Babylonian Empire, the, the strongest military on the face of the earth at the time, has completely surrounded Jerusalem. And God has told His prophets, look, tell the people this is it. There's no more mercy. You have earned this punishment, and now you have to receive it. And Nebuchadnezzar finally breaks through the wall, and he conquers the city. Hundreds, thousands of people die. And the children of Israel at this point, they're humbled, and they know this is what we deserve. God has brought this to us for our sin, 
for what we have done. So Nebuchadnezzar then carries almost everyone away. Just a few dozen people are left behind to make sure the city is left in order and that the taxes are sent back to Nebuchadnezzar. But everyone else is sent to the Babylonian Empire, which was pretty large. You know, Iraq, parts of Iran, modern-day countries. And then they're dispersed, north, south, east, and west, and they're stuck there. But what this passage teaches us is that God is faithful. God is faithful. How many years did He promise they would have to suffer under captivity? Seventy years. And He promised that He would return them to His holy land. And He does. He brings them back. And this psalm, it's not just in part, it's really a history of Israel that was sung to honor and glory of God. It was written in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. After, ne after uh, Nebuchadnezzar was dead and King Cyrus sends the people back, and it's a reminder that God is good and that God is faithful. And those are the same two reminders that we need this morning. To give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good all the time. And I heard someone say they were coming in behind me and they said, God is good all the time. And how do we finish it? All the time, God is good. And we need that reminder. If we somehow get off the moorings of the Word of God and the character of God, then it is so difficult to continue to give thanks to God. So we're just going to go point by point, verse by verse, and understand that God is continuing to be faithful. He's continuing to be good. And just like the Israelites, reminded of God's faithfulness, we can also be thankful to God for what He's done for us today. We all need these reminders. So let's go to Psalm 107. We have the context written by a group of men to praise God that He has brought them back to the land. Let's start reading in verse nine, uh, verse 1 sorry, through verse 9. And we'll just slowly work through it uh, word by word, phrase by phrase, uh, verse by verse. Starts out with the command, also the title of the message this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And what are the next four words? For He is good. He's good. Look, you're, just, you're just like I am. We're, we're at different levels of maturity. I'm sure you're more mature than I am. We struggle with believing that God is good. When the trials come, we're just coming out of all this COVID epidemic mess, and so many of us have lost so many things, including dear friends and family members. And it is difficult when you are in the midst, like Israel, of being in captivity. As Americans, being uh, in all of that and experiencing such loss, and to continue to say, because God's Word reveals it to us, that He is good. If we stop believing that, stop trusting in Him, well then the worries and the fears, they will inundate us. We must believe that God is good all the time. We can't keep our eyes on the circumstances, can we? We have to keep our eyes on the Creator and the One who's allowed the trials into our life. And he continues, Why else can we give thanks to the Lord? For His steadfast love endures forever. And so thankful for the, the opening song we were singing. It was a psalm. It was a psalm put into English that we can all sing and praise God for. And these two English words, steadfast love, uh, translate the Hebrew word chesed. You know that, that word chesed? It's translated in the Old King James most often as mercy. Well, that's what it means. 
It means steadfast love. It means to be forever loyal to someone because you are affectionately loving and kind towards them. This is how God feels towards us. been studying through uh, uh, The Last Supper with Jesus and His disciples in a book by uh, Sinclair Ferguson, a dear, dear man of Christ. And he just reminded me in John 16, 27 of this verse. Jesus says to His disciples, He says, The Father Himself loves you. Well, that's, that's Hesed. The Father God Almighty loves you. And as we look at our relationship to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ and through all that the Spirit does for us, we ought to be able to say, I give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2 says to continue in this thanks. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This is the second time we've seen you know, God's covenant-making and covenant-keeping name. Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. We say Jehovah, we say Yahweh. If God were to write a letter to you and He had promises in it, He would sign it with this particular name. This is the name that He makes promises to you with and He will keep them because of His character. He is Yahweh. Continuing with reasons to thank Him, whom He has redeemed from trouble. And He's gathered them in from the lands. Remember, they were dispersed. And now we see God bringing them back from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Verse 4, And some wandered in desert wastes. And we don't know if this was before, during the dispersion or after, but we know they were in the desert at some point. Finding no way to a city to dwell in. In what city are they looking to dwell in again? Jerusalem. That's what they long to do. They long to go back to Jerusalem. Every year during Passover, if you were able, and God commanded all Israelites that were able to come and worship at the Passover in Jerusalem. This is where the temple was. This is God's holy city. And this is the city that they long to go and visit and dwell in again. Notice in verse 5, they were hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted within them. Isn't this true? You know how life works. You can't separate the physical from the spiritual. You know, men are always made fun of because, you know, they get the common cold and it just shuts them down like they have four or five flus at once, right? Or, or so they tell me. Now, when you have a cold, doesn't it always affect you spiritually? I mean, think of the Sundays you've come in just really struggling with, with some physical ailment. It is harder to pay attention. It's harder to walk through life with others and with God when we're dealing with something, even with something like the common cold. But think of having COVID. I think we've had it three times as a family, and we finally got the real hard one about two or three months ago, something like that. And it just shut us down. It shut our whole family down. And it's so hard to open up the Word of God when physically we are struggling just to take a breath. Just to, just to get up out of bed and do what we've been called to do. Well, this is what they're struggling with. They are struggling with a physical trial that God has allowed in their life. And spiritually, it's difficult for them to continue to walk through what God has blessed them with in the form of trials. Then continuing in verse 6. This is what we do, right? This is how we respond in the midst of our trials. Then they cried to the Lord 
and their trouble. Let us not pull up our bootstraps and do it on our own. Let us get on the knees of our heart and cry to God for help. Set aside time for my wife and I to pray this week. Which is hard when you're in a thousand square foot home that someone has generously blessed us with uh, to live in uh, during this stage of life. We have seven kids. You know, and finding a place to pray is as difficult as you can imagine. But we finally got in her bedroom, closed the door, and then there was some actual crying. We wept and we just talked to God. And this is what He wants us to do when we're going through the trials, to cry out to Him. It's just a sign of humility that we truly need our God. Verse 6, And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way. And remember, Cyrus, King Cyrus, can look him up in history books. He paid for all of this as God moved his heart to bring Israel back into the land. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And what city is that again? It's Jerusalem. And recently in our family devotions and our family devotions, they, they're pretty much the same every day. We'll you know, eat a meal together, eat dinner together. We'll open up a Bible and we'll read a passage. And often it has pictures in it because we have, what, a four-year-old now? Four-year-old through a 13-year-old. And you've know, you got to have pictures for some of those young ones or else they, they totally lose focus. And so then we'll uh, sing a hymn and then we'll pray. Usually I'll lead in one part and then my wife will lead in song and prayer. And we recently got to this part where Israel was rejoicing. They'd been brought out of the captivity. And under Nehemiah and Ezra, by God's strength, they built the walls up again, and they built the temple again. And most of the people rejoiced in that. And then look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. God wants us to get this. You say, well, how do you know that? It's repeated four times in the chapter. Four times, word for word. And then verse 43, the last verse in the chapter... Uh, kind of, it's a synopsis of this very thing. So it's really five times in the chapter. God wants us Christians to get this. Let them, those that are redeemed, thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His hesed, for His mercy, for His grace, and for His wondrous works to the children of man. And verse 9, verse 9 is one of those verses in Scripture it's a banquet. It's not a snack. There are, there are verses in Scripture may seem more like a snack to us. These, this verse, verse 9, this is a verse that God wants us to go and spend time digging into it. This is God's character. Notice what He promises to those that long to know Him. For He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, He fills with good things. Isn't this in part why we give the gospel to our friends and our family and our neighbors and to people we don't know? See, we know that this is true of God, but the world does not. Yeah, I want them to, to know God as the Savior, the one that can forgive them, but I want them to also know God as the one who can fill and fulfill their every need. If you're struggling with having a desire to give the gospel to those you know are lost, think of this verse and say, God, I want to share with them the Father that can fulfill 
every longing of their soul. I see them wasting their life in the world. And yet He is the one that can satisfy them. Let us point them to a God that can fill them with all good things. Simple outline today, just a simple outline. Uh, number one, we see the call to grateful praise. Grateful praise, just another way of saying thanksgiving. I remember witnessing to a young man who's now a dear friend of mine. He's now a believer. But he was so antagonistic towards me. He was agnostic and really just an atheist. Just on the fence, but really an atheist. And I remember saying to him one day, I said, Yes, my friend, God commands all people everywhere to praise Him. And he's just taken aback. He said, Are you kidding me? How selfish is that? What kind of God do you serve that He would demand someone to praise Him? I said, No, hold on and stop a second. I said, If you were to demand of me praise, now that's silly. That's selfish because I know you. You're impure. You're unholy. You're not perfect. You don't do anything exceptionally well. And I don't do anything exceptionally well. Why should I praise you? But I said, God is pure. He's perfect. He is holy. He loves and forgives sinners. So he has every reason. In fact, it would be wrong for him to not give a call to thanksgiving and grateful praise. Is that what you know about your God? He doesn't just command us to give grateful praise, but His character and the fruit that comes out of His character towards us, it's ample reason to give Him praise. So God can give a call to grateful praise, which leads us right to point two. All through this passage and all through the psalm, the reasons for grateful praise. So let's remind ourselves that God is here calling all believers to give thanks to His holy name, not just today, not just when we're singing to Him, praying to Him, hearing the message during Sunday school. It's 24-7, isn't it? To give praise to God. And then these wonderful practical reasons for giving grateful praise. So practically, if like myself, there are times when you're struggling to give thanks to God. That's all our fault, isn't it? God hasn't left us. God has not deserted us. Even when we're underneath of His loving discipline, which we're still sinners, we still struggle with the flesh, and when He lovingly disciplines us, there are times when we struggle with giving Him the praise that He calls us to. But we need to start with this thought. It's not His fault, it's our fault. So let this passage just kind of wash over your heart. And if you're in a place where you're not as thankful as you ought to be, maybe you're in a stage where you're overflowing with thanksgiving, well, praise God, I can learn from you. But if you're struggling with this, finding it difficult to praise God when He demands it, that's our fault, not His. Because He's so loving. He's never done anything to you that was not good. And He's promised heaven and eternal rewards for all His children. So let's look at the call to grateful praise and then the reasons uh, for grateful praise. So first of all, the call to grateful praise... Look there as we see the review in verse 1, uh, 2, and 8. And we could find it elsewhere in the psalm, but give thanks to the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them thank the Lord, verse 8 says. This is an earnest call for all of us that have tasted of His hesed, of His mercies, of His grace, of His kindness. 
of His just deliverance and even just discipline. This is an earnest call for all of us to praise God. Get you a, get you a praise CD. Get your favorite musician, Christian musician. Plug it in. Find it online. Put in a CD. If you still have a tape player, whatever you do, praise God and warm your heart to the goodness of God for He calls us to thanksgiving all day, every day. Now, as we all know, this is not just an Old Testament concept. Let's look at four different verses in the New Testament. We know these verses. You've heard them before. We look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Many of us have memorized this in the good old King James Version, have we not? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Reading out of the ESV, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And while we might say to God or to others, you don't know what I'm going through, God knows what you're going through. And He still says to give thanks. And a level of our maturity is when the trials come, I've, maybe I have a tendency to crumble and say, Lord, why, why this? Why this? Why something else? When a mature believer ought to say, I give thanks, even in the midst of what I'm going through. And while my heart is weak, would you help me to every, in every circumstance give thanks to God? For this is His will. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Whatever you do, give thanks. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks to Always. We get it, don't we? God wants us to constantly give Him praise and for everything to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus. And really, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, the last one, you know, it reminds me of your interaction on a Sunday morning. I've been with you twice. Uh, the first time there was a good bit of snow on the ground, so there weren't as, as many people here. But in both, both times that we came, people were interacting with each other. You obviously are thankful for each other. But isn't that an interesting uh, command here in 2 Thessalonians 2.13? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, for each other. Are you thanking God for the church family that you have? And what a blessing it is to have a godly church family around you for the encouragement and the help. Almighty God does demand our praise. And it's not selfish of Him. It's His character. It's why He created us to worship and to praise Him forever. But isn't He so kind and good? You think of these, these despots, these dictators all across the globe, reigning in, in all the different hemispheres, north, south, east, west. Wicked men and women. And you know what? They demand praise. They're weird like that. They're so egotistical. Right? They demand praise. And yet, there's so few things that you could give thanks to them for. Because they're so desirous of taking everyone's power, everyone's freedom, and we see them throughout history. And God is not like that, is He? Maybe you're not a believer this morning. And the trials that have been brought into your life, you would say to God, maybe shaking a fist as I did before I was saved. And you say, what are you doing? How dare you do this? 
How dare you bring this into my life? How can you take that away? And God would have you to repent of that sin and all of your sins and turn to Him and believe that He is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But to get back to the point, our God demands our praise, but He gives us reasons to praise Him. As we start walking through these other verses, and the, and the second point, the reasons for grateful praise, be reminded, these are just a sample. These are just a sample. There's a whole lot more to praise God for, but these are just little bullet points that we're looking at. First of all, that wonderful Hebrew word has said, the steadfast love of the Lord. We must thank God for His forever mercy towards us. Aren't you thankful that just the, just the one sin you remember from this past week, that God did not reject you for eternity, but He instead said, through the blood of My Son, I will forgive you. And what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins? Continue reading, you get to 2 John 2, 1, and it says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, dear brothers and sisters, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. How can someone forgive me time and time again? His steadfast love never ceases. It lasts forever. And encourage your heart with that. Then you look through verses 2 through 6, and I've set aside uh, verse 2 there, and also verse 6, these physical trials <coughs> excuse me, that we go through. Look at verse 2, it says, redeemed from trouble. And then verse 6, we're delivered uh, from distress. When trouble comes, we can cry out to God, for He will redeem us. One of my favorite lines, maybe my favorite line from John Newton's Amazing Grace, is God has promised good to us. Good. It's a promise. God will never... What's that great uh, story that Jesus gave? He says, Oh, fathers, mothers, when your child comes to you and asks you for bread, you don't give them a stone. You don't give them a snake. You give them bread. He says, And how much more does your heavenly Father love you? And when you cry out to Him and you say, Redeem me. Deliver me. He will redeem us. There was a, a time in our life where we owned a piece of property, and my, this is when I was a kid, and my dad and mom, and they were building a Costco type of building behind our house. And at one point it rained about two feet, it seemed like, and there was nothing but mud there. They were just starting to lay the foundation. Footers weren't in. So my brother and I had the genius idea, older brother, to go walking through the mud. Well, the suction was such that we got stuck there for hours. And we were crying out for redemption. Finally, one of the other brothers and sisters, I think my sister, she went and told my dad, Dad, they're stuck. And we look when he comes out on the back porch, and he's about this big, and we're like, Dad's going to come and help us. We said, Dad, help And he basically said this in so many words. You reap what you sow. This is a great lesson for you. And we're going to wait till your mom gets home, and then we'll see if we'll get you out of that mud. And it started to get cold, it started to get miserable, but did I ever do that again? I never did that again. And the illustration there, my dad's just wonderful, he's with the Lord now. Great dad, great father. But he said, no, I'm not going to help you. You're on your own. What does God do? 
When troubles come, He redeems us. He restores us. Think of Israel. Seventy years He did make them wait. He made them wait. But the promise, you know, the carrot before the horse was, after 70 years, I will deliver you. And brother and sister, whatever it is that God has chosen to allow in your life, and He is sovereign over our trials and our hardships as well, He will redeem you. He will bring you through. And then it says a city to dwell in. What's the city they were looking forward to? Jerusalem. Well, we don't look forward to old Jerusalem, do we? I would love to go visit. I would love to see where Jesus gave different sermons at different spots in the Holy Land. But I don't long for old Jerusalem like I long for new Jerusalem. What is the very end of the Bible? What does the end of Revelation call heaven? When heaven will descend and God will be with us. He calls heaven new Jerusalem. That's what I long for. It's what I long for. It's what we want to see. It's who we want to be with. And remember the whole story of the Bible. What's God's name there in Isaiah 6? Emmanuel. God is with us. And there in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship, literally face to face with God. And in their sin, they lost it. And from the time of the Garden of Eden to the new Garden of Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, all of this time, you know, 6,000, 8,000, whatever, whatever amount of years you, you think it is. One of my kids asked me this morning how old I think it is. However long you think it is, God is working to restore the Garden of Eden where one day we as Christians will be in New Jerusalem seeing God face to face and the Garden of Eden will be back and we will walk hand in hand, if you will, with Jesus and His hands where you can see where the nails went through and His side and He will be fellowshipping with us. Isn't that what you long for, dear people? Let's look at the echoes that a couple of Old Testament saints had in Hebrews 11. If we go to the next slide, please. Notice these two. Was Jerusalem around when Abraham was alive? No. It wasn't even owned by the Jebusites at that point. Was Jerusalem around when Moses? When the later passage here. No, it was not. It wasn't until I think Caleb went and conquered it and then David sent his friend and he conquered it. I think he got to marry David's uh, one of his daughters, and then it was named Jerusalem, the city of peace. So who exactly, what city is Abraham longing for and Moses longing for? The same city that we do. So let's read through it and be encouraged and desire to see the new city, the city of God Himself. Hebrews 11, 8-10, and both of these are, are my, own, uh, my own translation, if you will. Just a synopsis. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to leave his family and his people, not knowing where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Which city was he looking forward to? Heaven. The same one we look forward to. Dear brother and sister, if your heart is just, it's, it's having a, a tough time starting this morning. Something's not working, you're out of gas, you know, the starter's broken. Whatever it is spiritually, if you dwell on heaven. It's one of the sweetest thoughts we can have. Walking together with God, no sin, enjoying 
His fellowship. That's what Abraham longed for. And so do we. This is 4,000 years ago when God wrote this about him. Well, Hebrews, you know, 2,000 years ago. Abraham, uh, 4,000 years ago. And then 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, he chose rather to be mistreated, persecuted with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. How did Moses choose to say, no power, no prestige, uh, no pleasures, and no money. I want to instead have persecution for following God. It says he looked to the reward. The reward of God, of heaven, what we will see one day. He got it. And are we getting it? Are we filled with thanksgiving because we have a new Jerusalem that we can look forward to? And then verse 8. I think we have a last two up there. Verse 8. It says, God's wondrous works towards us. What does the, the great hymn say, the old hymn? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. My dad was a very practical pastor and preacher. Got to be underneath of his ministry for 25, 30 years. And he would often say to his people, just make a list. Make a list of what God has done for you just in the last week. And your heart will be more ready to give thanks than you were before. And why don't you do that today? Make a list and say, God, look what you have done for me. The wondrous works that God has done towards us. And then verse 9. Verse 9 is such a rich verse for me. I just I love reading through it, thinking about God, His character that comes out. He satisfies the longing soul and He fills the soul with good things. As I thought through it and meditated on it, I said, you know, the same God that has led us has also fed us. Hasn't God always filled you when you longed for Him? He may have made you wait for a moment, for a week, for a little bit of time, but our God fills us. He promises to fill the longing soul. And don't doubt Him. The fountains of God's goodness and the streams of God's mercy, they never run dry. God's goodness, His mercy. What is the Hesed? It lasts forever. So feed on Him. Rely on Him. Meditate on Him. And He will satisfy you. Now, how can we apply this this morning? Two slides of application and we'll be done. As a believer, and I hope that you're a believer this morning, we'll give the gospel and I hope you look forward to hearing the gospel in a moment. But as a believer, this is application for those that are trusting in Christ to save them. As you think through it and think biblically, the only reason for not having a thankful heart is because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. If our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, then no bit of, of unthankfulness can creep into our heart. Because if we are looking at Him in all of His beauty, in all of His grace, in all of His sacrifice, and in the glory of the resurrection that He right now is, is talking to His Father on our behalf, if we're looking at Him, we will be thankful. So turn back to Him today. What's the other old hymn? May not sing it as much as we used to. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth 
be put behind us. And that is so true. And then two verses from the Psalms, one I have up, one I added later at my wife's encouragement, my greatest critic and also my greatest encouragement. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, it's so true. Taste and see that the Lord is good. People, taste. Take your senses. God has given them to us for a reason. Reach out to Him. Get on the knees of your heart or get on your knees and find a private spot and say to God, I want to taste of you and be reminded that you are good. And write down Psalm 37.3 if you want to. Psalm 37.3, just another rich psalm we can study through. And it says there in verse 3 of Psalm 37, Feed on God's faithfulness. Won't you feed on God's faithfulness this week? Remind yourself of who He is. Then our last slide today. Let's look at uh, verse 9 again and then we'll read through these verses. You know, an empty soul is a thankless soul, isn't it? If you're cranky and you're a Christian, it doesn't make sense. And children, forgive me. <laughs> if you're cranky and you're a Christian, there's, come on, right? Just look at verse 9. Fill yourself with God. Say, give me a promise from Scripture. Matthew 5, 6. The Lord Jesus Himself in the greatest sermon ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a right relationship with Him, for righteousness. For what's the promise? They shall be satisfied. The old King James says they shall be filled. Both understandings are there in verse 9 in our passage today. You know, satisfaction in God leads to thanksgiving. If we're satisfied in Him, we will be thankful for all that He is doing. Psalm 37, uh, 4, the verse just after the one we just quoted about feeding on His faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You know, delighting in Almighty God will produce the thanksgiving that God calls us to have. So let's delight in Him and all that He is. And maybe the favorite verses combined for my wife and I, Psalm 16, 9 and 11. Uh, David says in the Psalms there, through the Holy Spirit, verse 9, he says, My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. How can David say that? Look at verse 11. For you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. And at your right hand, O oh God, are pleasures forevermore. Does it make you uncomfortable to think that God blesses His children with righteous pleasure? Well, you need to just take your mind and recalibrate or calibrate it according to Scripture. For God is a God of pleasure. Righteous, good pleasure and worship in Him. And by enjoying Him, we can bring Him glory forever. That's what He calls us to do. So dear people, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, I believe that these verses give us ample reasons for thanksgiving and worship. you agree? I hope you have enough that you, you just say, okay, you've set before me a meal to feed on God, and now I'm going to go home 
and dig into this and even do a better job than you have and just feed on the Lord and His faithfulness and all that He's done for us. So I encourage you, I'm encouraging myself, go from here with your soul filled up and ready to overflow. And if you would say, I'm just not thankful at all today. Just not thankful. Well, maybe you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. Because after walking through a passage like this, if you still say, I don't want to know a God like that, are you a Christian? Are you dead in your sins? And maybe you ask, well, how can I be made alive? As Jesus says there in John 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be made alive. I want to encourage you. Uh, the first part of Ephesians 2 says you're dead. You're hopeless. You're not on life support. You're dead. Flatline. But then what does verse 5 say? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, you can finish it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of our own works, lest any of us should boast. So I encourage you, do you need to repent today of your sins for the first time and trust Christ to save you? And after reading through this passage, would you think that He would deny you? What a loving, wonderful, open Savior. Cry out to Him today, and I trust that He will save you by His grace alone. Your sins have been forgiven, Christian. You are loved forever in Christ. So what's God's will for us then? In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. Let's bow our heads this morning, close our eyes. I'm just going to do a quick prayer. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond first as they come forward. This is a time to privately talk to the Lord. Let's all be silent as best we can. And then I'll close us in a moment. Let's pray. Let's talk to God and respond. Just a few more moments and I'll pray. Would you pray with me please? Oh Father, we've set before all of us just a picture, a biblical picture of who our God truly is. He satisfies the longing soul. He redeems us out of trouble. We have new heavens and new earth to look forward to. So may we all go from here trusting in how much You love us through Your Son and the filling of Your Spirit. And oh my Father, may we in every circumstance give thanks to You. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.